next season is going to demand a tenacity that we haven't walked in before. That's what I'm simply saying. Are you guys ready for it? You want it? Do we want it? And not just to say like a good church people, yeah, I want that. But to say, no, I really want something more than that. It's going to cost you. It'll cost you your pride. Yeah, which you don't need anyway. It'll cost you your pride. It'll cost you a sense of safety and security. It'll cost you. Not in the sense that you buy it from God, but in the sense that you need to release something that you don't need anyway. That's what cost looks like in the kingdom of God. You don't buy anything in the kingdom. You just get rid of things that you don't need. Discipleship, true discipleship and growing in the Lord is not about adding more knowledge and getting better and better. It's about stripping down. It's about taking everything away. Who cares how much you know about the Bible? We're educated far beyond our obedience. Way beyond. It's a tearing down. It's a, it's a release. It's a getting rid of the things that have hindered you from accessing the fullness of what he talks about. If there is such a thing as the kingdom of God and we are told to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're not seeing it happen. There is no withholding on his part. It's things we're holding on to that keep us from accessing it. Come on, I'm speaking to someone now. There's a, we get worried about sin in our life. Well, yeah, be worried about sin in your life, but don't worry about it as far as it blocking your access to God. Worry about it blocking and getting in the way of things that he wants to give you in place of that. Does this make sense? It's a whole different perspective. Sin has never stopped God. Ever. Oh, God can have nothing to do with sin. Really? Show me that in the Bible. Anyone hear that one growing up? God can have nothing to do with sin. Show me where you find that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And it says in that same passage of scripture that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God himself in Christ became sin so he could reconcile the world. God's not afraid of sin. He's not afraid of your sickness. That's wisdom beyond belief. We've turned it into something weird in the church where we try to avoid sin. Yeah, avoid sin, but come on, man. Don't be scared of it. You've got the Christ inside of you. But Andrew, doesn't the word say to avoid the appearance of evil? No, it does not say that. It says avoid every form of evil. You guys hear what I'm saying here? I don't even know why I'm saying this, but there's something on this right now. We try to stay away from things because they appear bad, and that's not, not what he's saying. He's saying avoid every form of evil. There's a, there's, a, there's a resilience that the church needs so that it can manifest it to a world that needs to see it. Because when the resilience comes in and the, the revelation of the kingdom of God gets inside of us, we stop worrying about the things that don't worry God. We get really caught up in worrying about things that he's not even worried about. Well, he's not worried anyway, as if he's sitting in, up in heaven wringing his hands wondering how this whole thing's going to turn out. 
I'm talking too much. Sit there and listen. Sit there and listen. Think about the things that God has been giving you like. Maybe they're dreams. Maybe they're visions. Chances are they're epic in proportion and beyond what you can imagine. Those are the things that he's saying to you right now. He's saying, this is the open door. I'm opening this door so that you can see this thing. Are you going to walk into it? Start thinking like I'm thinking. Start seeing what I'm seeing. Hmm. If you have a pen and a paper, you might need to start writing these things down. You may need to keep one close so you can, when you have these things, you might be driving down the road, you might be waking up from your sleep. Start writing these things down. Are you guys with me? Are you tracking with me on this thing? I'm I'm hoping I'm bringing this thing down from some like whatever spiritual thing down to practical application on this. There's only one way we are going to truly be a body who, as Bill Johnson says, is in direct proportion to the head. Because right now we've got this giant head and this little bitty, itty bitty, itty bitty body. And it's not God's design. It's not his design because what he's really after is for something to be in direct proportion to it. And how that works is us simply coming into a place where we're saying yes to what he's saying yes to. Mm. In case you're wondering, what you're getting right now is apostolic admonition. I hope you're hearing me with that. It's not, it's an arrogant, it's not an arrogant thing. It's, it, there is an admonition to become what God has called us to become. So, come up here so I can hear you. Yeah. understanding and so I feel like don't get caught up in this 
place of sacrifice and stay there in of pain and agony, but keep pressing through, like he was saying, because you are gonna you are gonna see this place of resurrection, and it's not about you, mm-hmm. but these people that that have been you know stepped on. It's for their sake that that the resurrection, because it's not just for you. So if you're in a dark mm-hmm. place, I feel like fight to rise up out of that and fight for your resurrection, because then mm-hmm. the people that are involved in this situation around you will also rise up and you're going to see a dramatic just change or difference. Hmm. Um, and then along with that, I, I saw the, um, the scepter of the Lord being extended and I walked away because I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's, this is in worship. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is me. I'm wanting to imagine the Lord's scepter being extended to me. And so I kind of just hmm. went a little bit, I kind of walked away from it in the spirit realm just to kind of see and sit and watch this scepter being extended to see if it was real or not. And um, I felt like the Lord was saying, no, you need to come back to the scepter. And yes, it truly is being extended. Hmm. But the problem is, is you don't believe truly that you have access to anything. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. be honest, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Candid. So I just want to hmm. challenge you guys in your belief. To truly, do you really, truly believe that you have access to whatever, whatever, um, whatever? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Two really good pictures there. Thank you for that. Paul writes and says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We all love that part, but we don't follow up what follows it. And in the fellowship of his sufferings. You don't have resurrection without death. It's the reality of it. And for identity is a big thing that we go over here, and we hit it quite often. Um, because I'm tired of people, I'm tired of the church suffering from identity theft. I'm tired of it, really tired of it. We don't know who we are, so we walk around as subclass citizens. And the, the, the people who really know who they are who really, really do know who they are in a righteous way, not just by fact, um, are the most humble, kingdom-minded people because they know who they are. They got no, nothing to defend. They know who they are. That's what I'm wanting to see. I'm wanting to see a church filled with people who know who they are. Does that sound good to you guys? Yes. Oh. The grace of God is better. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to run with something here for a minute. The grace of God is better than we can imagine. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's way better than we can imagine. And no, hear me clearly, grace is not a cover for sin. It is not a cover for sin. Hello. It is a resource for righteousness. It is not a cover for sin. Now we got a lot of weird kind of doctrine stuff going around there right now. Please don't misunderstand me. But you can't, at the same time, you cannot over-preach grace. You can't. It's impossible. Hmm. Jesus, yeah. Do you see what's happening here? I feel like even what's happening right now, this is not terribly unusual for us, but it's a little unusual. Um, what's happening right now, and I want to, I want to keep putting this into practicals because I believe what the Lord is doing right now is he's, he's beginning to show us what open doors 
are going to look like as we start to walk through them. And I want you to be prepared for this. The church has a history of coming together, the presence and the power of God showing up, wonderful, miraculous things happening, but it never does anything to shift the culture. Would you agree? I mean, we have points in history where it's happened. Welsh Revival, Azusa Street, back in 1906, started in California. We have, we have points in history where some pretty miraculous, wonderful things have happened where it has shifted the culture. But even in this city, we've seen a lot where the power of God has shown up over, you know, 50 years or more. God has shown up, miraculous things have happened, but it hasn't changed the culture yet. I'm not interested in just having another pop where God shows up. I'm interested in seeing something where the culture shifts. So the reason why I'm saying that is we need to pay attention to even what's happening right here, right now. Because the end goal is not to see somebody get healed. Hello? The end goal of us coming together is not even to see miraculous healings. Do I want those? Absolutely. That's just part of the kingdom. I like what Reiner Bonnke says about it. He says that sickness is not the ultimate problem. Sin is so that healing is not the ultimate solution. Salvation is. I paraphrase that somewhat, but it makes sense. That's not the ultimate problem. It's the salvation, but understand that our salvation is not something for a moment so we get out of hell. Our salvation is something that works on and on and on inside of us till we come to a place where we look like Jesus. That's what salvation is. It's not just going to heaven. It's looking like Jesus. And what's happening now, and I believe this, and we're going to start to unpack this a little bit, but we're entering into a place where you get into governmental authority. Does everybody understand what I mean, governmental authority? I'm talking about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Can we all prophesy? Absolutely. But when it's in the context of governmental divine order, it changes everything. The purpose behind governmental order or the prophetic is not just to release what heaven is saying accurately, but to release heaven itself in its fullness, which is action. I'm going to talk just about the prophecy side of things here for a minute. Understand, when it's in, inside government or, governmental order, it doesn't just release accuracy in the prophetic, it releases action. We can get together in our houses and we can prophesy over one another. And I know that. And everybody should prophesy, right? How many in here say, I can prophesy? Let me see your hand. Everybody in here should have your hand up. <laughs> Scripture's clear on that. Everybody can prophesy and the word wants everybody to prophesy. If you don't believe me, just go read through 1 Corinthians 14. It'll tell you all about it. Everybody should be prophesying, but there's something that happens when prophecy happens inside the structure of governmental order. That's when cultures get shifted. Look through it. Look through scripture. It's filled with it. That's why we have... There's a difference between prophesying and a prophet. Every prophet prophesies, but not everyone who prophesies is a prophet. And the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So if we don't have the foundation of the apostles and the prophets functioning in a greater body, then what we have is people who prophesy who are maybe even bringing something accurate, but they're not bringing the action. 
It's, it's the essence of having five-fold ministry in operation. I'm still wanting to see that even in a local congregation where you have the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher all functioning together and recognize these aren't people who just have gifts. These people are the gift. It's interesting. I don't know how theologically this works, but there's something in John, I think it's John 5, isn't that where the angel comes and stirs the water and people get into it and are healed? There's something about this. I don't even know how to put it together yet, but I feel the Lord just talking to me about these things. And I don't even know if someone's done a teaching on this or not, but I'd really be interested to find out. That it says in there, remember when the angel stirred the water and the first that got into it was healed? That whole context of that was about five porticles, five passageways. And the fullness of the angel of the Lord would come and stir it and miraculous things would happen. I believe that has something to do with fivefold ministry being in function, being in action together. And when that happens, it's like the angelic realm gets released to do actions that are crazy. But isn't that what happens when the kingdom of heaven invades this earth? That it changes the culture and that angels are involved in it. Have I lost you guys in the room? Are you still with me? I know I'm kind of talking a little bit here, but... There's something about prophetic culture, and we all love prophetic culture. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that's what we want. We want a culture that operates in the prophetic. But I'm not just wanting people to prophesy. I'm wanting not just the accuracy of heaven released. I want the action of heaven released. And it only happens through governmental order. And when it happens, you start to notice something. And this is why I'm trying to tie it even today, because something's beginning to shift here. You can get into a context where there's governmental order, and people who don't even think in the prophetic realm all of a sudden start to feel and see things that they're like, what is going on? You're feeling me, right? You know what I'm saying? Something starts to happen. Why? Because it's part of the foundation of how God designed it to work. Think back for a minute into the Old Testament. Do you remember, I think it's 1 Samuel 10. I think it's in 1 Samuel 10, where Saul was anointed king, right? And Samuel was the one who anointed Saul to be the first king over Israel. He's anointed king over Israel, and then immediately after he anoints him, Saul says, or Samuel says to him, now you're going to go here, and you're going to do this, you're going to see these people, and when you get to this group of prophets right here, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you'll begin to prophesy. Because that was Old Testament, I understand. But when he got into the context of prophetic culture, which was God's divine order, he began to prophesy. Was Saul a prophet? No. But he began to prophesy to such an extent that what happened, people started saying, is Saul now not mentioned among the prophets? I'm just referring to these passages of Scripture. You guys can go read these things. Later on, the same thing happened. Saul has awfully, just terribly ruined everything. And yet again, he comes in contact with some prophets and he begins to prophesy. Why? Because that's part of heaven's dynamic culture that needs to be established. And if we see that from a New Testament standpoint, if we can establish it with the apostles and the prophets being the foundation of the church, then we can find people who begin to prophesy not just accurately, but action begins to come with it. You guys know what I'm talking about. We, we tend to, I'm going to pick on ourselves for a minute here. We tend to, in our prophetic culture, get really like wonderful, excited, goosebumpy about somebody getting a prophetic word and its accuracy. That's great. That's wonderful. Where's the action behind it? 
I'm going to throw in a parenthetical reference here. Be careful if you're in a prophetic culture and you have accurate prophecies coming all the time. Be careful. Because if you're not careful, you'll go after the accurate prophetic prophecy, not recognizing that you got something from the Lord right there. And if you don't steward that, God in his mercy will withhold more. Hello. I am not going to keep giving really good, valuable things to my children if they don't steward them well. That's not good for them. You're following me, right? It's not good for them. What we need is the action behind it. The, 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 the sense of stepping through the door, if you would. Moving into the door and saying, yeah, I've got this word, but I'm moving into it. I've got to steward it. I've got to take the prophetic word and recognize that it's a picture of, it's a Polaroid picture of my future that God just came and showed me. Now I've got to walk in that direction towards it. So here you have Saul, who is Old Testament. He gets anointed, and when he gets around the prophets, the divine order, he begins to prophesy. Even after he messed it up galactically, he messed everything up. As a matter of fact, the second time he goes and prophesies, you'll see it. The second time that he goes to prophesy, he's in the context of prophets again, and he strips all of his clothes off naked and starts prophesying. Now, I'm not advocating that we do that in here. I'm just simply saying, I'm simply saying, that's a, that's a picture of something in and of itself. Even Saul, beforehand prophesied, didn't take his clothes off because he didn't need to. The second time it happens, he needed to take his clothes off. Why? Because his identity had been tainted. And the identity, the false identity, had to be stripped off so that he could be the person that God had called him to be so that he could prophesy accurately. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I want us to pay attention as we're moving into the future. I want us to be very, very careful. And I'm, I'm, I've got my antenna up really high on this thing right now. Because you've heard me say it before, I'm not interested in just doing good church. And I'm not interested in just having just miracles and signs and wonders. If there is no transformation in it, then what are we doing? If there is no transformation in people's lives so that we become a people who walk out this door and somebody looks at us and goes, Jesus is all over you and I don't even know who he is. That's what I want to happen. I want people to recognize Jesus on me when they don't even know who Jesus is. But they see it and they go, it's like what happened with Peter, right? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father in heaven... You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Do you think that somebody living in the world could see a believer and see Christ on him and not, only not know who Christ is but be able to say, I see Jesus all over you. I want some of that. You think that could happen? I think it can. But I think the way that that's going to happen is if we operate inside of an established apostolic governmental authority. I'm not saying I have all of it. I'm saying it functions in, in a number of different places in this city. Hope you guys are following me. I don't feel like I'm making too much sense here this morning. But there's something about what we're going to be doing as we walk into the future that we're going to need to pay very close attention to. Luke chapter 5, verse 36. Take a look at that with me real quick. Yeah. Some of us just feel a lot better if we actually open the Bible, don't we? That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Luke chapter 5, look at verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to him. You guys have heard this before. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the 
new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst and the wineskins will be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Okay, now I want us to think about this. I know, I know this message has been preached probably 100,000 times and if you've been in the church, you've heard it before. The old and new wineskins, Right? So when I'm talking about God doing something new, I want us to be careful that what, we do, that what we don't do is try to take what God is doing that's new and put it into old. It doesn't mean that the old does not have value. As a matter of fact, he even says right here, he says that they will both be ruined. Why does it matter if, it's old and if, if what's old doesn't matter? Then why does he care if it's ruined? He does care if it's ruined because old matters. Old and new is not about chronology. This whole passage right here about old wineskins and new wineskins is not about chronology. It's about flexibility. Because when you put new wine into old wineskins, they burst simply for the fact that an old wineskin has lost its ability to be flexible. In a new wineskin, you put wine in, and as it ferments, it expands and contracts, and the new wineskin can handle that, that. That's what's going on. So it's not about throwing away the old. It's about readying and positioning ourselves with an attitude and a heart of flexibility that says, God, you can offend me. You can stretch me. You can move me. You can do whatever you want with me because something is growing inside that's really good. But that's not our tendency. Our tendency is to do what it says here at the end in verse 39. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. There has been, and this is part of specifically what I want to speak to in the prophetic culture sense of what I'm talking about. There have been lots of people who have been hurt by the church. And as a pastor, I say to you, with all sincerity, I am sorry, forgive me. But do not let your pain and your hurt determine where you're going to go in the future. Because I have a strong sense, and I can't put my finger on it exactly, but I have a strong sense that what's going to happen is God's going to begin to reveal some things, and he's going to start doing some things in the church. I'm not just excluding or making it about us. But he's going to start doing some things that we're going to have to take up a position of a new wineskin, which is not about, oh, this is new, and I celebrate it because it's new. I celebrate it because it's flexible. And I have the ability to stretch and move and not be offended and be okay with this. I have people ask me all the time, why do people shake and twitch and do things like that? And there's a real simple answer for it. I don't know. <laughs> and I just like that. I like the fact that I don't know because it puts it into a category where I don't, where I don't have to have a theology for that. Yeah. Well, what if somebody's in the flesh? Well, what if they are? <laughs> Big deal. What if they are? If you want to sit and have that argument with yourself about what somebody's doing with the way they're manifesting and you're getting offended about it and you're going to have that argument, just recognize the whole time you're having that argument, argument you're missing out on what God's doing. Who cares? What if, they are, what if they are doing it on purpose? And? I'm, not interest, I'm interested in something different. I'm interested in something more. Why do people laugh hysterically? Something's funny. Why do people fall on the ground? Simple. 
They can't stand up. Even in this picture, though, I want us to pay attention because even in this picture of the old and new wineskins, just recognize when new wine comes, it still gets put into a container. We, those of us who have been hurt by the church, we tend to think things like, oh, it just needs to be free and do everything and just go everywhere. And it can everybody do everything they want and anybody can do it. No, it's really not how it functions. That's, it's like a river with no banks. It's a flood and floods kill people. So even when God pours out something new, it still goes into a container. It's just going into a container that can handle it and stretch and move with it. That's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of prophetic culture that I'm looking for, and I want it to be established here. I want us to be able to have that flexibility where we can move and stuff, and we don't get offended. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know what I'm doing. How would I know what I'm doing with something that I've never seen before? So give me a little mercy. All I know is I want the fullness of what God has for us. And I want our expectation levels to be like these new wineskins where the top is pulled off and we're, we're ready and we're going, pour it in. It's that picture we saw earlier, fire and water. Our mouths are open and we're saying, God, put it in me. Put it in me. Has anybody in here ever been in a place where you've experienced the presence and the power of God so much that it just radically transformed the way everything about your life? You, you thought different, you saw different, a couple of you. I have. It's happened to me on a number of occasions. And unfortunately, some of it's kind of dissipated. Because my awareness of that has become less aware and I've become more aware of my natural surroundings. I don't want to live like that. Doing church is hard if he's not in it. It is. It just simply is. And if I start to feel tired... But what we're doing here, then I start to recognize that's number one marker. God's not here. I'm not going to be tired. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be full of life. I'm going to be full of life. I want to be able to give. I want to be able to move with him and do what he's doing and stretch and move. But just understand, too, in the middle of this, and this is important, that when God shows up, it comes in a container. It comes in a container. Freedom does not mean you can do whatever you want. Freedom means you're under no bondage. You can do what he wants. <laughs> Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. Liberty is really the correct word there. I know we've talked about this before. A big difference between liberty and freedom. Freedom's me walking up to you and saying, hey, you got some chains on you here. Let me take those things off of you. That's freedom. Liberty is me coming up to you, taking those chains off of you and saying, here, let me take those off of you, but here, let me hand you your destiny. And you start to recognize who you are and you recognize who he is and then you begin to function in the way that you're created to function and work. And I'm just telling you guys, it's never going to be at the expense of somebody else. That's why it comes in containers. So how does it work? Well, a big value we've gone through, community is how it works. That's how it's going to function. I'm all about prophecy coming through anything and everything. I see in scripture a donkey spoke. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Dang, I want to see that, man. That'd be so great. I don't have a donkey, but I got some rabbits and chickens. Maybe he'll do it through those. That'd be awesome to see that. I have a cat. Wouldn't that be cool if your cat just started talking to you? <laughs> some of you are going, mine does. <laughs> it's all right. Come on up here. Come out. We'll get that out of you right there. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, help us. Just want to make sure I'm not... Why do I say that? Remember what, especially in the prophetic, what Malachi talks about, that he will send a prophet like Elijah, right? He'll send a prophet like Elijah. And what is it he will do? Yeah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the children to the fathers. What happens when the real prophetic shows up? Family starts to happen. Oh. Remember a few months ago, I talked about apostolic fatherhood and what the apostolic does? The apostolic is not simply about just starting new works. The apostolic is about establishing families. That's why people, as time goes on, and I've watched it being in the church. You guys still okay right here? Watching this. I've seen it in the church for a long time because I've been in it my whole life. I've seen it happen. People used to gather around denominations and theology, and that's coming to an end. And they don't know what they're looking for. But what they're beginning to gather around now is fathers. Why? Because a real true governmental authority will have the prophetic in it. And the prophetic first thing it does is it turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's to the fathers. And the first thing you end up with is family. I have a family. I live in a house not too far from here. And I love people. I love people. I am extrovert. I am I am extrovert person. That's just who I am. I'm wired. That's how I am. My wife is introvert. I have to be very careful because I thrive on being around people. I, I get life out of it. Not so much for her. Anybody in here an introvert? You know what I'm talking about then, don't you? You, re, you get revived by being by yourself or a little secluded. Well, extroverts, we just like people. I love people. But am I going to just let anybody into my house to begin to release the word of the Lord to me? No. Why? Is somebody going to walk into my house, which is about two miles away from here, and start telling me how to arrange the furniture when I don't know who they are? You, hear, you see the connection. There is an incredible value in the prophetic, but a prophetic works best inside a family. I'm not saying we need to be a nucleus unto ourselves, and we're just going to, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that the, the level of authority that a person has in my life is in direct connection to how connected they are to me. Do, are there prophets that I trust that I don't walk in relationship with? Absolutely. We lost one recently in Bob Jones. We're talking about bona fide prophets. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are going to walk around and prophesy and bring things to me. George has a higher level of prophetic insight or influence in my life than somebody who just really isn't around me. You hear what I'm saying? So when we're talking about it in the context of what we're doing here, I'm sensing some things are going to shift. I don't know exactly what they're going to look like yet. We're really trying to pray through some of it, but I just don't want to repeat what we've done in times past. That means I'm not really... Not really willing to let anybody walk off the street and just come in here and start prophesying. Why? I'm hoping you feel some protection in that. I would hope you would feel some protection in that. 
Because I'm not just willing to let anybody do that. Just like I wouldn't do that at my house. I wouldn't let some, somebody I really didn't know come into my house and start giving directive things to my children. It'd be a little awkward. The primary mark that we see, and that, that passage in Malachi was referring to John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and he comes in the form of Elijah, like Elijah, and he begins to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Why? To make a way. He was the one who prepared, who broke way for Jesus to come in, right? And what, Jesus, what did Jesus say? What did we talk about last week? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came back to the whole family thing. So I'm going to leave us with this. I'm probably going to talk a little bit more next week about this. Is this all right with you guys? I, I feel like there's something on this for us, though, to, to really start to get a hold of. But the first thing that I can say about it, it's going to function in the context of family. It's going to con- con- function in the context of family. We can all hear and we can all prophesy and we all need to. And I'm saying do it. I'm saying do it. Everybody, learn how to prophesy. If you don't know how to prophesy, is anybody in here, if I could just maybe stretch this for a little bit. Has anybody in here said, would say to me, by show of hand, I don't know that I've ever prophesied over somebody? Okay, we've got a few hands here. You know what? That's, that's okay. Here's what you do. Pick up your Bible, open it up, and just read it to somebody. That's the first step in prophesying over somebody. Just start doing it right there. Just start reading it over somebody. Pick up the Psalms. Pick up the first three chapters of Ephesians and start talking to somebody about it. And you're going to start prophesying over them. I want everybody to prophesy. But I also know within the context of a prophetic culture, governmental authority, that inside of that we have coaches and we have referees. And we need that. And I'm going to leave you hanging with that because we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. 